Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Hello, and welcome to this special Olympic dressage wrap-up edition of the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Vitaflex. We have an interview today that you're not going to want to miss. We'll be talking to Morgan Klingensmith, who is better known as Salvino's groom. She was with him in Tokyo. So if you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes at the Olympics, here is your chance to find out. Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait to talk to her. I know. So, you know, when it comes to the Olympics, as we all know, since Tokyo is 13 hours ahead of us, if you wanted to watch it live, it meant waking up at 4, 4.30 in the morning, which I did. Um, Good for you. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I won't say I did not watch everything, I will admit. I didn't see it all. And I may have fallen asleep sometimes, but... (laughs) But I did see our riders and some of the other big names and some of the, you know, of course, um, Charlotte and Carl from Great Britain and the wonderful, fabulous German riders who and um, so. But it made it it made it a little bit tough those early morning hours. (laughs) Yeah, it did. I I watched mostly on my laptop, um, you know, through the the NBC Olympic dot com, I guess it was. Yeah. I I started out very diligently with ride number one, day number one. And I have to tell you, Stephanie, that rider set the tone so magnificently. I, I probably watched two thirds of the rides and those horses are magnificent and those riders are amazing. And they are. It, it's just such a, a joy to watch. But honestly, there were a lot of horses that I would have felt comfortable getting on, <laughs> but the very first rider in the Grand Prix, and I believe it was Phoenix de Teneo, it was a Portuguese rider, and it was on a Lusitano, and I watched the ride, and I believe it got something like a 72%, so you know nothing to sneeze at, right. um, but the horse was just so correct and relaxed and happy and there was harmony and while it didn't have the wow factor of maybe you know senseo or or geo um there was just something so pleasing and i thought this is the horse i want to bring home and ride <laughs> and it was just it was lovely yeah it was just well, and I'll tell you, it's funny you say that. I'll tell you, I'll give I'll give our listeners kind of an inside tip. Um, last week, I interviewed Robert Dover for the next issue of Practical Horseman to get his insights on the Olympics. He wasn't there, but like the rest of us, he watched a lot of the uh, streaming. And, and he said the same thing that you said, Aviva, that these overall, these games were some of the most fabulous horses and riders and, you know, pairs and harmony that he has seen in a long time, you know, over the years. And, and he's, 
he probably could be kind of considered an Olympic expert because he's been to six of them. So, so he's seen a few rides. um, And, um, and he said the same thing. And so, and that's wonderful. That's great for our sport. And to see that, you know, when you and I were talking after you had gone to the, to the selection and, and we had talked a little bit about it. And I said, just the quality of the riders that didn't, make it to the Olympics, that the the quality right. of riding in the US and that I I believed that we were going to medal. Yeah. And there was a time when that was really sort of not optional. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And, and right. now we're we're up there. And Absolutely. um you know the horses and the riders are just brilliant. And it's kind of fun to see some different names. Um you know new people coming up the ranks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, and, and it was, we, we managed to get a little bit mainstream with um, Stefan and Mopsy went a little viral on TikTok with their, with their freestyle, which then kind of crossed barriers all over the place. And so we were introduced, at least the freestyle was introduced to a lot of people who had no idea what dressage was. And positively introduced as opposed to what was it, yeah. eight or 12 years ago when, when, you know, it was about what an elitist sport it was and, and Stephen Colbert did his thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so this was, this was, you know, this, that was, this was nice. Yeah. Very positive and kind of funny. And then with Snoop Dogg and, and yeah. Kevin Hart watching it as well. So we, we got, we, we hit the mainstream for, for a little while and who knows, we might pick up a fan or two. And, um, you know, so it was, it was just kind of fun to me. It was overall just a pretty positive experience for the U S dressage and dressage in general. And, um, and I loved all the different helmets. It was fun seeing everybody in helmets and, and how they, they made them each unique and special. Right. You know, I'm so used to, I always ride with a helmet. I've always ridden with a helmet. I'm the helmet police. So when Charlotte sort of started riding with a helmet and, and I didn't, it looked so normal to me. Right. And and then I realized that it wasn't, but this Olympics, everybody had one on and they, they were every bit as elegant with those beautiful helmets as they were with their top hats and the, the fabulous new blingy brow bands and the blingy shad bellies. And what did you think about the, the Dutch orange shad belly? They were bright. That's what I'll say. They were bright. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah. I I was surprised they were on the color wheel, but we're not going to go there. right? (laughs) It might not be on the color wheel for everyone, but um and I think you better be able, if you're going to wear bright orange, you better be able to carry it off. That's, you know, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and it seemed like all of their horses were black. So, you know, it was very striking. It, it was very much so. So yeah. uh, it was, it was different, but yeah. I agree with you about the helmets and and people taking kind of their own unique sort of style to them. And some of them had flags, some of them, like you said, had blings. So they did, they were, they, they were a really nice addition to the entire ensemble. Yes. Um, Yeah. So not a detraction at all. And um, yeah, I think it was, it looked, it looked perfectly normal to me too. (laughs) So speaking of um, wild and crazy, 
with the Olympics. So I need to share with everyone that I finally got my tiger striped saddle pad to add to my saddle pad collection. Yay. And I have a very good friend who um, I met through judging and she makes custom stock ties that are quite stunning. And she's a very talented artist in many ways. And she makes lots of saddle pads and they're not for public consumption. They're for her. And I got hurt. And so I decided to, to tug on her heartstrings a little bit. <laughs> she would make me a tiger stripe saddle pad as a get well gift. And it arrived in my mail today. And it's just so fun. And I can't wait to put it on my horse and wear it. And I show everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you should get an orange shad belly to go with your tiger stripe saddle pad. There you go. There you go. Well, I have to admit, I did buy a shad belly. Hopefully, I'm going to need it, but it is blue. Okay. Um, I don't think I could pull off orange. <laughs> yeah. But no, we um, we I and and I will admit, I saw I saw the picture of said saddle pad. Though I look for from out out of the bag i look forward to seeing it on the horse and your entire ensemble that you put together with the tiger stripe saddle pad yes i'm gonna have to work on that i think it it may include yellow okay okay (laughs) good (laughs) so so stay tuned in other words there is more to come from the saddle pad saga but you did not buy this one so it was a gift so you you did not Well, I, I actually, I've, I've sent her money to thank her for it because that's the thing about when people make things, we, we don't think about it. I do, but most people don't think about number one, it's the cost of the materials, which is always more than you realize. And then there's the time that's involved. So I did, I did, I, I'm considering the manufacture of it and presentation as the gift and I'm paying for everything else. It's a donation. You made a yeah. donation. There yeah. you go. Well, good. <laughs> Glad we're, we're, we can't wait to see it on Tiger. Soon. Soon. Very soon. Yes. As I said, I got to figure out now that you put the pressure on, I got to figure <laughs> out the outfit. So when we want to see the whole outfit. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm safe with black britches and black boots, but I'm yes. not sure what to do with the shirt. So we'll yeah. work on that. Okay. We'll work on that one. And today's Ask the L question goes along with our clothing theme. Uh oh. <laughs> um, and this is actually over the years one I've heard talked about a lot, and I've heard people impart their different opinions. And so the question is: Is it? Do you feel that it's true that white gloves show more movement in your hands compared to black gloves? And do you have a preference of white? black or no gloves at all? Um, I don't like no gloves. I, I have to say, I, I, I know that people who don't like gloves really don't like gloves. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that gloves just give a finishing touch. And I like white ones. And I don't, I, it, this, this idea that white gloves show off a busy hand versus black gloves, you know, being more discreet, mm-hmm. you know, come on, I can see your hands. 
<laughs> you know, doesn't matter what color your hands are. I can see your hands. I can see what you're doing. And honestly, as a judge, I, I'm looking at your hands part of the time, because if I see something going on with the horse with the connection um, or with bend or or something, the first thing that, you know, the first thing we always do is we blame the rider. Right. It's always the rider's fault, right? We're not communicating adequately with our horses. So I look at the rider to see what the aids are and to see what's going wrong. Um, and, you know, the first thing I do is I look at hands and then I look at whether the person is pushing the horse from behind or whether they're riding front to back um, versus back, back to front the way that they should be. Um, if they're, you know, trying to massage the horse or wiggle the horse down into a frame as opposed to going honestly through the back. So um, in answer to that question, wear gloves, wear white gloves. If it's a schooling show and you're not wearing really nice schooling clothes, you know, you're just wearing maybe dark breeches and a polo shirt. I don't think that black gloves are a problem, but if you are going to wear, and for now we are wearing white breeches, um, if you're wearing a coat, um, wear the white gloves. It just gives it a more polished look to me. Okay. I'm a glove person as well. I, you know, riding even all summer long in Florida, I mean, just riding, not, not showing just, I still wear gloves. It doesn't matter. It could be 110 degrees. I still wear gloves. I can't stand not wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I can't wear gloves to do anything else. Right. You know, I, can't wear, right. I can't wear gloves to groom. I can't wear gloves no. to, do, to do the barn, to muck stalls. I hate having gloves, but I can't ride without them. So yeah. I'm to I'm totally with you. Yeah, I get it. I, I completely get it. So I don't know where I don't know where that happened along the line. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm very much a glove person. So good deal. Well, that is our fashion advice for the day. <laughs> <laughs> this from the woman who has a tiger stripe saddle pen. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's right. And we just want to let our listeners know that if you have a question about showing or judging, you can email me at sruff at equinenetwork.com or reach out to us on DT's social media. And when we return, we'll have our conversation with Morgan Klingersmith. Welcome to Vitaflex, where performance is everything. Over the last 25 plus years, Vitaflex has lived by their goal to provide innovative products specifically designed for the extreme requirements of high caliber equine athletes. Trainers, owners, and top riders demand the best, and that's why they rely on Vitaflex Pro products, because they deliver results. Every single product is backed by extensive research, testing, and is formulated to help you achieve the ultimate in performance. Visit Vitaflex.com today to browse their selection of equine health supplements, antioxidants, joint supplements, and more. That's V-I-T-A-F-L-E-X.com. Vitaflex Pro, the fine line between good and great. Morgan Klingensmith was born and raised in Ohio, growing up just a few miles from where she works full-time at Betsy Giuliano's Haven Safe Farm. As a young girl, she spent much of her time riding ponies and started lessons in eventing at age 10, competing in that discipline until a few years ago. She started working for Betsy in 2014 at her Ohio barn and moved to her show horses in the fall of 2016. 
Morgan's job as a full-time professional groom keeps her very busy and on the go. Most recently, she vaulted to notoriety as the groom of Adrian Lyle's Olympic Mount Salvino and was his constant companion on their recent trip to Germany and Tokyo. So, Morgan, I want to thank you very much for joining us today and taking some time to share all about your experiences in Tokyo. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> and the first question is, I think, before we get into everything else, the first question is one I think everybody sort of wants to know about, and that is, how is Salvino doing? He's doing good. He's enjoying his time with uh, Adrian out in Colorado right now. He's having some well-deserved, you know, downtime. He's getting some turnout. He's, he's, you know, he's being a horse. Yeah. So having fun. So he, um, you know, obviously like he didn't go in the freestyle. So is, is he okay? Is he just taking some time off now? Yes. No, he's, he's doing great. He, you know, we decided to pull him out of the freestyle and, you know, he's doing great now. Um, but we're just giving him, this is a normal, you know, procedure for us for, you know, any sort of big competition, European tours. We always give our horses time off after they come home. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it was quite, quite a trip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) long journey very long journey well good well we're glad to hear that because you know we were all a little you know a little surprised that he um didn't go in the freestyle and certainly I know everybody was um hoping that he was good and fine so everyone will be happy to hear that he is getting some well-deserved R&R yes so then on to more about you anyway, um, could you tell us a little bit how you got interested and how you got involved in horses and riding? Um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, I didn't officially start taking probably like riding lessons or anything until I was about 10. Um, but before that, I had a lot of um, actually Amish babysitters and we used to ride all their ponies out in the field. <laughs> Um, and actually way back. So I'm 25 now, but when I was about, you know, three, four, five years old, my babysitters at the time were actually the managers of Betsy's farm. So I, in Ohio here. So when I was little, I was actually around Betsy's farm a little bit in and out, um, you know, getting lead line pony, you know, stuff like that. Um, but uh, then when I was about 10, I started taking some lessons at a local venting farm here. Um, and I vented um, up until I was about just a few years ago. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. <laughs> so are do you still do you still compete? I do not compete um, eventing anymore. No. OK. Um, so like you still ride. I do still ride. Um, I, I, I'm actually, um, taking on more of a role for, uh, Bethy riding some of her horses as well. Um, exciting. So, yeah. And do you have any, have you had any mentors or people that have really influenced you over the years besides your Amish babysitters? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I guess some of my childhood, you know, trainers and you know I think Betsy has played a huge influential role um for me I've worked for her um 
the last seven years. So I've gotten a lot of guidance and help through her and, um, you know, just being able all these opportunities she's given me to, you know, watch, you know, Adrian and, you know, Debbie train and, you know, all the other U S athletes. And so, yeah, now that's, that's pretty spectacular to be able to do that at a young age too. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, of traveling there, could you tell us a little bit about how the horses traveled to and from Tokyo? Did you go with them or did you go with Salvina? I was actually on all of the traveling horse flights, um, to, to, into Germany and to Tokyo back to, you know, all, all the horse flights. Right. Um, so they, you know, we traveled over to Aachen and we had to do, you know, a quarantine before, um, Tokyo and each, you know, there's two horses into a crate in their pallets. And, um, so the trip over to Tokyo was a little bit longer. You know, we were expected to go into Dubai for, um, to refuel. So that flight was estimated about 19 hours airtime. Um, and so, you know, but everyone traveled, you know, extremely well and, um, they made it into Tokyo. Great. We, you know, we, plan to do, you know, whatever we can do to keep them hydrated and, and ready to, you know, compete journey started. And we did, you know, on the, on the way back, we actually were able to fly directly, um, from Tokyo into Liege. So that trip was a little bit shorter. It was about 12 hours. How do the horses handle that, Morgan? I mean, do they, do they react to, you know, the, how we do with our ears popping into the noise and all of that, or do they just sort of hang out and, sway and eat hay the way they do in trailers you know honestly i find and you know unless you hit some turbulence here and there i find that a lot of horses travel they fly better than than they do trailering because you know they're not moving in the plane you know as you're tra- as yeah. you're trailering you're you're constantly stop go yeah. you know you're constantly turning the horses are having to balance their weight where you know i think on these flights you know, when they run a little bit smoother you know without turbulence obviously um they tend to just sort of think that they're installed. Like they sort of hang out and they eat hay. Wow. So, and it's a, it's a, just a big cargo plane basically, right? Yes. How many horses fit on that? <laughs> um, on our flight over now, the flight over to Tokyo, we had 30 horses. Wow. Um, Holy. Oh, and then some equipment. <laughs> yeah. But Yeah. <laughs> So that's a bunch. That's a bunch of horses. Yeah, it, it was, I believe there was about, I want to say seven grooms on the flight for those, okay. um, including some veterinarians as, as well in that seven. So. And you pack all of the water and the hay and grain and all of that? Um, we pack a lot of mashes um, for their meals and their grain. And um, we usually send, you know, about huge you know a large portion of hay and a hay net so about a bale and a hay net for each horse um mm-hmm. if they need extra hay we'll pack an extra hay net for the container but the space is fairly small up front so you really can't pack it too much or else you can't get in there <laughs> um but they have tack bags and we put their meals in there and they the plane um services they provide they put in water containers they usually do about two containers um per crate so one per horse um, so that's how we do water and food. Okay. 
See, I think it's fascinating because, you know, most of us don't. And I will say it was cool to see some of the video clips of the horses loading up and stuff like that, because, you know, most of us have no concept of how, like, I know they flow, but you you don't really have a concept of how they get loaded onto pallets and they get, you know, just kind of lifted up and stuck in the plane. And yeah, we have that vision of them going through the metal detector, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That, that's right. <laughs> um, so once you got to Tokyo and everything, what was your schedule like while you were there? Um, it was so they, you know, the barns opened at um, six and then they would school, you know, the riders would come in usually around eight or nine to school the horses, um, you know, track walk them or whatever they want to do in the morning. Um, and then we would have kind of big, lull during the day and and actually in tokyo they on the venue they closed down all the arenas and essentially the barns from uh 11 to 3 i want to say it was um where you horses weren't supposed to go out like that was supposed to be the you know the hottest time of the day Mm -hmm. and you know we would have schooling or competing in the evening so they really wanted to make sure that these horses weren't out working and they had their rest you know before competing um so, but, you know, we were allowed in the barn, but, you know, a lot of the times we, we would turn the lights off and let the horses rest. Yeah. Okay. Were there places that you could take the horses out and just hand graze them and just let them be horses a little bit? Um, yes, you could take them out onto the cross country schooling area that they had on the venue if okay. you wanted to do any hand grazing. Um, but there was, you know, arenas so that you could walk in as well. You know, there's lots of, you know, pathways and stuff like that. How did the horses do? Did they enjoy the facility? I mean, horses have opinions. I think that they did. You know, I think that, you know, the barns were set up uh, really well. They were air conditioned. Um, so I think that they were quite comfortable in the barns. And um, I know we were at a barn that was um, separate from, you know, the other stables. Um, we had to go down through a tunnel and it was, you know, farther away, but it was fairly quiet back there. And, you know, I don't think any of the horses had any issues um with the facility itself and it was all of the american horses stabled together for dressage Um, eventing show jumping all the american horses were at one end and then um german horses were at the other end so that (laughs) would include um and i believe austria was in the middle a couple austria horses um and it was so the u.s dressage jumping and eventing were were there while we were there um so, and I believe Paris on their way there. Yes. Wow. Yeah. No. Yep, they are on their way. So, you know, I mean, it, it was certainly hot and humid and everything. So, and you mentioned the barns were air conditioned, but were there other measures that you had to take or that, that you were taking to help? You know, I honestly, from my take, I don't think it was any worse than Wellington weather. Yeah. You know, people were you know, we're thinking it would be much worse. And, and honestly, I think that summers in Florida are much worse than what we experienced. You know? Good to know. So, and it was actually quite nice in the evening. The humidity dropped down significantly during showtime. So oh, that helps. Super nice. You know, we're in Florida. The humidity stays high pretty much all the time. Lot. Yes, it does. <laughs> So then, you know, overheating and stuff like that wasn't a big issue or anything? Um, not for, you know, I don't think any of the U.S. horses had that issue. 
but we made sure that, you know, they were properly cooled and we checked temps quite often, you know, yeah. right after rides. And, um, you know, we brought our ice buckets to the arena and would sponge them and stuff like that. So of, of everything that happened while you were there, is there one moment that stood out to you or what, what, what were some of your favorite takeaways from your time? Um, I mean, I think that it was, it was really cool walking in, even though the arena wasn't, you know, full of, you know, people or anything, but for the award ceremony, you know, Adrian and I were like the first ones to walk in. It was very, very cool. Yeah. So speaking, speaking of the award ceremony, I've been thinking a lot, you know, dressage is such a, an individual sport. um, But for the Olympics, there's the individual part of it, but it's also a team and it's, it's the four of, of the horse rider combinations working together and all of the staff working together to, to succeed as a team. Um, does that change the, the way that people interacted with each other or the dynamics and did everybody get along and was it truly a team experience? I think it was a truly team experience The you know, I, our group, you know, even the grooms, we all get along super well. Um, the riders are all very close. Um, and it was very much a team effort. Um, there was no, you know, hatred towards anyone for any sort of thing. I think it was, it, you know, everyone got along super well. That's good. That's it. That, that always, that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> and we, so we want to shift gears a little bit since we are talking to you as an Olympic level groom, um, we had some, some grooming questions that we wanted to ask and a few podcasts, actually, I guess maybe it was our Olympic preview podcast. I'm not sure a few podcasts ago. Um, we were talking about, because I was at Wellington for the selection trial and I had commented how I loved all the horses tails. They were the most magnificent tails I have ever seen. So please tell me what is the secret? Can you tell me the secret to that fabulous tail? Um, I mean, I personally, I think like good nutrition and I make sure they're very clean and conditioned and I don't like to brush my tail unless it's for an important occasion. Right. I think every time you're brushing your tails, you're, you know, you're breaking off pieces or strands and you're thinning out the tail too much. And I think that aspect, um, but yeah. So do you, do you hand separate the hairs every time you groom? Um, if I'll, I'll, you know, pick off the shavings and stuff yet. I don't, I I really don't like to brush the tails. The girls <laughs> get annoyed at me when I walk by. I'm like, are you brushing that tail? <laughs> which which also, another question, I know there's a lot of controversy about bathing horses and using shampoo. And they say, you know, don't shampoo frequently because it takes the natural oils out of the out of the skin. How often do you use shampoo when you when you bathe your horses? Um I mean, that's, I think it depends on each horse kind of in their own personal needs. You know, some horses tend to have, you know, better coats, better skin. Um, some get, you know, itchy. Um, I mean, I would say at least close to once a week, I think that we do some bathing or, you know, it also depends on 
if they get really dirty in the, you know, the paddock or, you know, so there's a lot of different variables to that. Or if they're gray, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, and fortunately you didn't have a gray to deal with. Not this time. No, Duval was at home. Right. (laughs) So, so tell me a little bit about the, um, the braiding, the, the braids are always just so spectacular. Do you change the way that you braid based on the individual horse's necks to show it off to its best? Or do you just generally braid everybody the same way? Um, yeah, yes, I do change a little bit, but I also, it also depends on the opinion of the rider, what they want. Okay. Um, cause they're the, you know, they're the ones that are going to look at it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but I we usually ask the rider and I also will base it on their, if they don't care, um, their necks. Yes. Uh, so horses that tend to have like a longer, thinner neck, I might do some poofier braids or not as many, um, for Salvino and, and the stallions that have the, the crestier, you know, necks, they, I tend to do smaller, um, and more of those ones. Um, so. How long do you, is it? Do you sew them all in or do you use bands? Um, I clasp them down with bands and then I sew them in. Wow. Okay. So how long does that take? Um, it depends, uh, how many I do, but usually 45 minutes, probably. I'm not the fastest braider, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the horse too, how well they stand. Well, yeah. Um, that's still, that's not too bad. And things have changed with braiding. I, I remember when I got started riding dressage, we all used white tape. And um, I don't see tape anymore. Nope. And they used to be sort of the button braids. And now they're the braids that are sort of on, they're 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 wider and they're on top of the neck. And um, there definitely seem to be um, styles of braiding. I think everyone sort of has their own unique way of braiding. Um, that's what I find anyways. I think everyone's a little bit different. And so when people are like, can you teach me how to braid? And I was like, well, I can, but I find like, um, you kind of figure it out on your own. You know, the more you practice, the more you figure out what you like and how you like braid. Um, so, so no secrets to share with us. Practice. practice. <laughs> a lot of practice. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just got to do so, it. Right. So another question for you. I noticed that almost every horse that went into the arena had its hoofs polished before it went in. And then as soon as they got into the footing, they got fluff all over their feet. So what was the point? <laughs> um, I mean, it looks nice when you put it on. I do understand the the concept of, yes, you're, they're going to get dirty in a few minutes. <laughs> but, I, you know, you would like to think that it's also keeping um, the hoof itself healthy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not just for show. Um, and so are you, are you a groom full time? Well, you mentioned you're riding a little bit more, but so do you do horses full time or do you have a job outside the farm? No, I do horses full time. Okay. How many horses do you groom on any given day? Um, usually I don't want to think about this. <laughs> six, six, about six to seven. And does that include tacking up and untacking? And do you get on and, and warm up for riders or? 
do you um, just hand them off? Yes, that includes, um, it depends. We've got, um, I have some other groups with me, and depending on our schedules, you know, most of it's grooming and then basic care. Um, there's a couple that I ride as well. Um, and so obviously it just depends on our schedule. Sometimes um, if I'm not busy, you know, I do all the checkups for myself and, and text. But, you know, if I need horses that are going back to back, you know, I have help with that. Um, but those basic, basic care, therapies, um, you know, turnout. Yeah, so I mean, here in Ohio, um, we do stalls as well. Um, so just general care, just regular everyday horse stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're in Ohio now. Are you? Do you went? To, do you come down to Wellington in the winter? Yes. Yeah. I come down, um, and I, we're at uh, Haven State Farm with uh, Betsy Juliana. And so. So yeah, so you're there. You're there now. Do you have any other um, big shows or big events that you're heading off to anytime soon, or are you there for a little while? Um, I will be in Chicago for um, festival. Um, we um, Adrian is bringing um, one of our horses that we had sent to Colorado while I was gone um, to Adrian's barn. Um, so she's going to bring her there and, um, some of Adrian's other students and clients will be competing. So I will be there for the week. Okay. <laughs> so we'll leave on Saturday. Oh, all right. Well, so you, at least I, hopefully you've had enough time to be home and get readjusted to the time zone and, and where you're at and all of that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the last question is one that we like to ask everyone because it's just sort of, I like to hear what people say. And um, so what do you think makes a good horse person? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, hard work and, and dedication and, and, you know, the passion and, and love for the horse to the sport. I think that's all very, you know, important. And obviously that's something that you have to be so dedicated to, to, uh, to these animals and take such good care of them. Yeah. So, um, I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with us and taking some time to talk with us today. It was really good to get you to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, um, we look forward to seeing you out there again with, with some of Adrian, Adrian's horses and Betsy's horses, of course, again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thanks again, both to Morgan Klingensmith for joining us today and to our sponsor VitaFlex. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.